Uh, Nehemiah is a Jew. He came, his family came from Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem was destroyed in about 600 BC. Lots of people carted off to Babylon in exile. Some of the Jews went back and rebuilt uh, the temple and started rebuilding the city walls, but didn't get very far before that all stopped. Uh, and some of them stayed there, uh, the heart of the empire in Babylon and, with, and Persia and Assyria. Um, and Nehemiah was one of those. He's the cupbearer to the emperor. Uh, and this is his story. So Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you, day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray that God will speak to us through it. Lord, this story comes from so long ago, two and a half thousand years ago. And yet you are the same today as you were then. And we pray that you will speak to us about trusting you and rebuilding what you call us to rebuild in these days. Send your spirit and help me as I speak, and to each one of us, may we hear what you want to say to us tonight, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I picked the book of Nehemiah uh, because we are rebuilding. It's been this terrible pandemic. We're still in it. We're emerging from it, and so much needs to be rebuilt as a church, in our own lives individually, in the nation. And God will want us to, not only he wants to work at rebuilding us, but he wants to use us to rebuild others as well. So here is Nehemiah, the cupbearer to the king, uh, the emperor really, a huge great empire, the Persian empire. Uh, he is a really important guy. He's, he's, not a, he's not a vicar, he's not a priest, he's more a civil servant. The, if you are the cupbearer, you taste the king's wine before he drinks it. I mean, if anybody's going to poison him, he poisons you first. So you're not only the cupbearer, you have to set up a whole system to make sure you know where the food and drink is coming from. Uh, so he is in charge. He's, uh, he's an important civil servant, a trusted person. He is a Jew, he loves God, and he cares for what's going on in Jerusalem, 
which is about three months away by camel. Uh, there were no emails, there was no texting. He couldn't just text and say, how's it going in Jerusalem? Some news would come every few months and he would send a letter back. And so it was a, a slow process. Uh, and he hears this news that Jerusalem's really in disgrace. They had gone back after exile. They'd rebuilt the temple. It wasn't as big as before. They started rebuilding the walls, but there was opposition and it, it stopped. In fact, it was this king probably who stopped it many years ago. Uh, and the walls are falling down, and they're discouraged, and they're disgraced. And the people of God are a bit of a laughing stock. Now, in our nation today, the church numerically has been in decline. And many people think the church is irrelevant. We know it's not. We know God is real. We know he's alive. But there is a rebuilding of God's people to be done in this nation once again, as has happened from time to time in the past. Uh, to tell the story that the God who made heaven and earth is alive and well. Fantastic to have Bronwyn's baptism and Bronwyn knows God is alive and well and to hear your story. Uh, we have good news to share, but the world doesn't always see it like that and the world can think the church is a bit pathetic and downtrodden. And the people of God were downtrodden in those days and in disgrace. Uh, so Nehemiah hears this news and the first thing he does is to pray. Now as you read through the book, if you choose to read through it. And it's not a bad book to read through. It's, got, it's like his journal. He writes quite a lot of what happened, what people said to him, what his prayers were, what his thoughts were. Uh, there are a few long lists you might want to skip over, but you can, it's, it really it, it tells a story and you get a sense of who he is. And you'll discover he is a real man of action as, he, as God sends him to rebuild the walls. But first of all, he's going to pray. Uh, and his prayer lasted a little bit longer than you might suspect. Uh, so let's just clock, let's do chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, and just clock the news again. Uh, so this was the news he heard. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. I questioned them. Uh, where are we? About the Jewish remnant that has survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates have been burned with fire. Now, chapter 1, verse 1, the verse before that, said this was the month of Kislev. And the next bit of action, chapter 2 and verse 1, when he goes to speak the, to the king, says in the month of Nisan. Now, I don't know how good your ancient Middle Eastern knowledge of months was. Kislev to Nisan, how long was that? Well, I'll tell you, it could be four months. If it was at the end of one month and the start of the next, at the start of the life, it could just be a bit longer than two months, could be two and a bit, it could be four months. He's taken this news, he's prayed through it probably three to four months, thought about it, wept, talked to friends, uh, prayed some more, come up with a plan, he's going in to see the king, but not until he's prayed. And there's lots of things to learn from his prayer. When, when you hear news which is upsetting, when you hear, when there's something that concerns you and you don't know what to do, there's stuff to learn from Nehemiah's prayer. Uh, so if you like things beginning with the same letter, I've got four things beginning with C about his prayer. I don't always do this, but there you are. For those of you who like this, here's a treat. Um, doesn't happen very often. His prayer is based on a conviction about God's character. Verse 5. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him. He knows that God is loving and faithful. Now, we know far more about God than Nehemiah did. We know about Jesus. 
He's revealed so much more of the love of God. We know that Jesus rose from the dead. We know that death is not the end. But the baseline that God is loving and faithful runs through the scriptures. And Nehemiah knew that. And he knew what it was to fear God as well. He, in a healthy way, that's a sort of a healthy reverence for God. He's not over chummy with God, which is a danger in some of the modern churches that, yes, God loves us intimately, but God is still God and we reverence him. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the emperor and he knew what it was to reverence the emperor. He didn't take him for granted. And Nehemiah doesn't take God for granted, but he knows he's loving and faithful. And when you pray, base your prayers on that about God and about other stuff you know about God that Nehemiah didn't, supremely Jesus. Then the, bit, the next is he confessed the sin of his people to the Lord, verses 6 and 7. Uh, he says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted wickedly towards you. We haven't obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Now, you don't get the sense that Nehemiah is wicked, but he's part of the Jewish people who he knows had ignored God, and that was why they were sent into exile. That's why they were in trouble. And we are part of this nation. We live in it, or we're, we're British, or we live in it either uh, by race or by where we live. And our nation, by and large, has turned its back on God. And it's not a surprise that things go wrong. Godlessness is unsustainable. And rather than pointing the finger, we need to confess, Lord, we've turned our back on you as a nation. As a church, we haven't told people about you effectively. We confess that. We acknowledge that we get things wrong. I'm only ever worried if, uh, about people if they think they've got absolutely everything right and nothing more to learn. But we all got stuff wrong. We all fall short. And we're part of God's people who fall short and part of a nation that's turned its back on God. And as we pray for our nation to acknowledge that is a good thing to do. Uh, his prayer is based on the confidence of God's promises. So verses 8 and 9, let's look at this. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then I'll gather you, even if you're exiled at the farthest uh, horizon, I'll gather you and bring them back to the place, that's Jerusalem, the place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. So Nehemiah knows is uh, the bits of the Bible that have been written. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 30. It's a promise of God that even if people have been scattered, if they repent and return to God, he will bring them back. And he reminds God of this promise. Uh, and he's praying that God would honor his promises. So it's really good to remind yourself and God of different promises from the scriptures uh, when you're reading them and you come across one write it down and use it to fuel your prayer and then a fourth C he is prepared to be committed to be the answer to his own prayer so verse 11 he says give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man he's about to go in and ask the king something so he's not just praying from a distance saying God please sort that out he is prepared to do something about it. And when God puts something on your heart, to take time to pray it through, Lord, is there anything you want me to do about it? Uh, and to think that through and to take your time is a really good approach. Uh, and I love his attitude. He says here, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Now, this man just happens to be the emperor of the great Persian Empire at the time. But as far as Nehemiah's concerned, praying to God, he's just this man. I was cupbearer to the king. So we pray 
And we pray on all these different levels for some, if something really gets you to pray. Uh, this goes deep to Nehemiah. Uh, chapter 1, verse 4 said, He wept and fasted for some days. And we don't know how many days that was. It may have been much, much of the two or three or four months. It may have been some days to start with and then the planning. But this goes deep to him. I wonder what things in this world really get you. Uh, we don't have the capacity to take on all the problems there are in the world. We are not God. But God usually puts something on our heart for us to get involved in. It might be poverty. It might be injustice. It might be family life or breakdown. It might be issues to do with education or media or health or politics. Or for me, uh, I got really fed up with churches that put people off God. I grew up in a village church where my dad was the vicar. Uh, he loved the Lord, but the church was so boring for me when I was young. And I went to a chapel at school for assembly, and that wasn't much good either. And when eventually I discovered a healthy church, I thought, at last, this is what I'm looking for. And I didn't realize that God was using those experiences to give me some oomph to get involved with doing something about churches. I wasn't expecting to become a church leader. It wasn't what I was looking for. But sometimes God gets a, a sort of holy discontent is a, a phrase we often use, something you care about. And you start praying about it, you start complaining to God about it, you start talking to people about it. And quite often God starts saying, well, why don't you do something about it? And it's a call into some sort of ministry. Uh, and if you get something like that, we can't, if we try and take on all the cares of the world ourselves, we just can't cope. Only God can do that. But usually there's something he wants us to get involved in. Could be in the church, could be in our town, could be in your school or university or where you work. There's often something to make a difference. So Nehemiah prays, this goes deep, uh, and he has a lot of courage in being prepared to be the answer to his prayer. Uh, let's read on what happened next, chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. In the month of Nisan, which we now know is approximately four months after Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. Uh, that was wise, by the way. If you were sad in the king's presence, he might well get rid of you. If he was in a bad mood, he might chop your head off. You don't do sadness in the presence of the emperor. So it was, it was wise. But I'd not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are, are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, How long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. Now, his courage here is extraordinary. Uh, he's worked, been praying through and thinking, What's the best way to approach the king? Will he let me go? I'm his trusted number two. Will he, what will happen? Uh, and he's trying to think, what's the best way to approach the king? And he comes up with a plan that he's going to wait till the queen's there as well. He thinks the king might behave a bit better when the queen's sitting next to him. And he's going to risk looking sad for the king to ask him. And then he's going to appeal to 
Uh, why should I not look sad when the city of my ancestors, the culture of the day, would respect your ancestors? So his ancestor's city is destroyed, and he wants to rebuild the city of his ancestors. But it took, he's thought it through, but it takes tremendous courage for him to take that step. And you know what it's like. You can think of anything that God might call you to do, but the first step always takes a bit of courage. I will talk to that person about this. I will ask that person about this. Uh, goodness knows, it may be that God's put on your heart two people who've fallen out with each other, and you pray about it, and you wonder what to do, and you just sense, well, maybe I should have a word with one of them and have a word with another and see if I can get them together. Uh, but actually, that time when you say, can I have a chat, takes a bit of courage. Or it may be uh, God's put on your mind a friend who doesn't yet share your Christian faith, and you want to invite them to join the Alpha course. That takes a bit of courage. Uh, you risk, what if they say no? What if they reject me? Well, it doesn't matter. We're just inviting. But we pray about whatever it is. It may be an enormous great thing God's called you to do, and you take this first step. Uh, but Nehemiah, he prays, he weeps, he thinks, he plans. Uh, he's done an extraordinary amount of planning. So let me just read you a few more verses. Verses 7 to 9 of chapter 2 say this. The king asks... Uh, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? So he sets a time. I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so they'll provide me safe conduct till I arrive in Judah. May I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so he'll give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I'll occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. Uh, so, and so he went on. So he's done an awful lot of homework. Now, it's not as easy. He didn't have Google. He couldn't just look up and say, so who supplies the wood and what's the name of the person who does it? And he could do it all in five minutes. It would have taken weeks to try and find out who are the names of the people? What do I need to do? Uh, and he's taken his time to plan. Now, I notice some people are really good planners, but they're not always the people who step forward with courage to do things. Some people are really good prayerful people. They don't always plan. Some people are very courageous. They haven't necessarily thought things through. And Nehemiah embodies all these things. He prays, he thinks, he plans, and he has courage. And the whole way through this letter, we'll see that he prays and he acts. It's his part and God's part. And whatever the Lord is calling you to do, we'll take prayer and planning and courage but God ultimately will be behind it and will sustain you. Uh, I love the balance in Colossians 1.29 where Paul says, uh, I strenuously contend with the energy Christ works in me. We have a job to do, but it's God's energy and he sustains us. And Nehemiah models this balance of prayer and action. Uh, so I wonder what God is calling you to do. You may have no idea at all. You may just be sort of emerging from the pandemic and trying to hold things together. But you may be, there may be some people here asking the question, Lord, what are you calling me to do to get involved with? And it may be there's particular things in your workplace God wants to really show you to do beyond what the actual job is. It may be things here in the church. It may be things in our town. Uh, it may be things in wider society. But praying, Lord, would you show me? Uh, if you're not sure, talking with friends, praying them through in your small group or whatever is good. Often have a think about what really bugs me. Is it issues of justice and poverty or uh, to do with the climate or whatever? 
Or is it to do with children or young people or older people? What is it that gets you going? And then think, well, what can I do about that? And pray it through. And here at this church, we're involved in lots of things. We can't possibly do everything. We do lots of social action together with other churches in the town. Uh, things like food bank, food bank and Christians Against Poverty and things like that. Uh, but there's so many different things we can get involved in. And it's as we get involved in serving God that we grow in our faith. Nehemiah is not prepared just to sit back and be comfortable uh, in the king's palace and pray from a distance and leave it there. He's prepared to sort of roll his hands up, and roll his sleeves up and get his hands dirty. Uh, so my prayer tonight as I come into lands is that God would speak to you, each one of you, about something he wants you to really be involved in. It may be you're doing exactly what you're meant to be doing and God will just affirm that. Uh, some of you may be trying to do too much involved in too many things and none of them really well enough that's usually my danger and God usually gets me to try and prune a bit of those out and really concentrate on it some of you may have just been waiting were waiting for an email from the Lord before you do anything and it may you may need to be a bit more proactive in trying to discern what that is and of course some of you here may well be here thinking well I'm not sure whether this whole Christian faith is is real or not in which case the next step might be genexis or alpha as we were looking at earlier uh, but we're just going to pray into that for a couple of minutes before we sing our last song. So I wonder if you'd stand and I'll lead in a prayer. Uh, and the way it'll go is I'm going to pray a few words and then we'll be still and invite God to work in us by his spirit. And that's a really good time just to listen out for what thoughts God puts in your head to ask questions of the Lord. Think, what's the next thing I'm meant to be doing? So we pray, Heavenly Father, the God that Nehemiah prayed to, the God of love, and faithfulness. Send your Holy Spirit on us this evening and minister to us. And if there is something you would have us involved with, would you show us that? If they're trying to do too much and we need to prune something out, show us that. If you're wanting to do anything else in us, come Holy Spirit and minister to us. Let's just be still for a minute or two. Some of us were praying before the service. We had a couple of pictures we thought were from the Lord for some people here. One was a picture of some renovation going on in a house. Actually, when the builder got to work, he realized there was a bit more to do than he'd thought initially. And it may well be God's doing some renovation in you. In which case, can I encourage you just to say, Lord, please rebuild me as you want me to be. If there's things that you want to do in me, things you want to sort out, uh, please do. Help me to be the person you've made me to be. Just give God permission to go on doing that. And there may well be something particular he brings to mind. Uh, another picture we had was of a, a roadie with a, a music group providing the equipment they needed. Uh, and the sense was that God will equip us for what he's calling us to do. So you may be thinking, well, I've got an idea of what I'm meant to do, but no idea how that's going to happen. And God has promised to equip you. So ask him to show you, Lord, I, how? Show me 
equip me. If you, if you, I will take a step of faith if, you, uh, if you're calling me to do this. Lord, for all of us, for those here who aren't sure about all this, who sense your invitation to taste and see that you are good, reveal yourself to them. For those of us you are calling into getting involved in serving in different ways, we trust you to equip us. For those of us you are at work rebuilding and renovating, as it were, coming out of this difficult period of lockdown, we say, Lord, help us to cooperate with what you're doing in our lives. And for all of us, may we know you better, your love and faithfulness, and use us, we pray. Just as you used Nehemiah all those years ago, use us to help rebuild some aspect of what you're doing. And all these things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord.